Mathematics is all about a mindset shift. Here, math becomes a lens through which we see the world more clearly. Math is a vehicle that takes us to exciting new places. It's a medium through which we can experience life with more freedom and power. Come stand here with me at the edge of math. Let's throw the gates wide open and take a little journey together. I'm Amy Buchanan, your host. Welcome to Mathematics. Welcome to episode number three of the Mathematics podcast. This is part two of a three-part series on additive reasoning. In this episode, we are going to continue the discussion we started last week about additive reasoning, but we are going to specifically focus on the inverse operation of addition, which is also known as subtraction. This episode is dedicated to Christina Tondevold, whose website, Build Math Minds, has all kinds of resources and learning opportunities for teachers of K-5 to mathematics. Christina calls herself the recovering traditionalist, and her website is buildmathminds.com, both of which are delightfully descriptive ways to explain who she is and what she does. I enjoy all of her videos and materials, but one of the many things that always impresses me is the clarity she brings to this discussion of subtraction and how it can be taught effectively in ways that build reasoning and make the connection between subtraction and addition. And that's what we're going to be exploring today, how very inseparable those two operations are. I will link to one video in particular, as well as her website, in the show notes. Christina Tondevold at buildmathminds.com. Check it out, specifically geared towards teachers of elementary age students, grades kindergarten through five. So today we're going to stay mostly within the realm of positive numbers and talk about subtraction specifically from the angle of beginning learners. If you haven't figured it out already, this is one of my favorite things to do. I have not formally studied how very young learners learn, as in taken specific graduate level in-depth classes at an institution, but I do a lot of my own reading and research about it, and also I do a lot of thinking about it. I love to think deeply about what's going on inside my own mind And then I also really like to observe students as they solve problems and listen to them as they articulate what they're thinking and watch them even, especially at that young age where you can kind of see the things like counting that are going on and what they do with their fingers or with the objects or whatever it is. So pretty much everything we're going to be talking about today goes back to that in-depth thinking that I love to do about what's going on in our heads when we're thinking about these situations. So today, we'll briefly go back and discuss those two scenarios for additive reasoning that we've already introduced last week, and then we will connect those to subtraction specifically. Those two previous scenarios were, number one, when we had a starting amount and then we joined something to it, and then number two, where we had two parts coexisting to make a whole. We are then today going to discuss a third type of scenario in which we compare two numbers to see which is greater and by how much. And we're going to see how this plays into the use of subtraction, but also addition. And throughout it all, we're going to consider how these scenarios can be thought of using both kinetic 
and static thinking. And as a sneak preview, we'll be talking next week about how subtracting a number can be conceived of as adding the opposite of that number, or the additive inverse. And we'll delve a little more into how all of this works when we start to include negative numbers. But before we get into today's episode, I'll mention three ways you can participate in the Mathematics community. One, if you're listening from a podcast app, you can rate the podcast and leave a review. Two, you can go to the website and sign up for our email list to stay informed about new episodes, interesting ideas, and other things we're up to. And while you're there, generally check out what you can find. Number three, on the website, you can also sign up for our membership for some other interesting opportunities and experiences. And that website is mathematics.com. That's M-A-T-H-E-M-A-T-I-X-E-D.com. There is one big takeaway I want you to leave this episode with, and so I'm just going to state it right up front. Subtraction should never be thought about in isolation from addition. Let's revisit that first scenario from last week, the one where we started with three stickers and then this action occurred in which we acquired or we got two more stickers. One way to think about this as an action, but going in the other direction, so to speak, would be to say, I started with five stickers and then I gave away two stickers. How many am I left with? This is a classic example of the straight up takeaway conception of subtraction. And it is very much kinetic in the sense that it's motion related in our minds. And this problem might often be given with the expectation that it be modeled with the expression five minus two, or I could say the equation five minus two equals what number? And that number would be three. As far as the calculation of it, if I were a person who did not instantly recognize this as being three, and even further, if I had not really become comfortable with working with a number as a chunk, even a small amount like two, I would likely count down in sort of this kinetic or moving way. And you might even hear aloud these whispers of four, three, while maybe my fingers are tracking that amount of those two stickers that are being taken away. And I might be especially inclined in this instance, both to use this subtraction expression, five minus two, and also to calculate it in this way of counting down, because the very visual it evokes of giving away those stickers is this process of removing stickers from a starting point. Okay, so let's explore some more. So what if I take that starting scenario of having three stickers and acquiring two more for a total of five, and I want to ask it the other way around, but I want to maintain more of the structure of the original question. So what I might do is to just provide different pieces of the information and have that missing piece be one of the numbers I had chosen to provide in the original scenario. Such as I might say, I have five stickers now. I was given two of those stickers just a minute ago. Before that happened, how many stickers did I have? This can be modeled with the same expression, five minus two, but it's not quite as immediately mentally obvious that this is so. So it might be more likely to evoke a different way of thinking about it. 
Now I could, as in the giving stickers away version, start with how many I have now, which is the five, and then think backwards about this process of removing the ones that I have just been given, the two. But I might also be inclined to think about this in a forward progression of time. Like I might want to start by thinking about the literal starting point in time of this problem, which was the time I had some unknown number of stickers. And then I would imagine that those two were added and that the total of five was created. So the equation I might use to model this would be some unknown number plus two is equal to five. And then let's just go with it. If I'm not familiar enough with these numbers to know instantly that that unknown number is three, I might not do the counting down from five thing. Instead, I might guess and check by asking myself, hmm, I know the number of stickers I'm looking for must be less than five because I'm looking for how many I started with. So did I start with two stickers? Let's try it. Start with two and then add two more. Three, four, nope, that doesn't give me five stickers. So two can't be my starting point, it was too low. Let's try four as a starting point. So start at four, add two, five, six. Nope, that's too high. Let's try three, add two, four, five. Yes, three works. I must have started with three stickers. Now, as a side point, did you hear all that wonderful reasoning going on? Is it the most efficient way of doing this in the grand scheme of things? Of course not. But is it valuable as a process that a student goes through on their way to becoming efficient because they are using the reasoning that they currently have that makes sense to them? Absolutely. Could we maybe nudge them along a little? Like maybe back when they tried, was that starting amount two stickers and they added two more and they got four? Well, now we know we need to start a little higher, but instead of just guessing again, could we maybe figure out exactly how much higher we need it to be? We landed at four that time. That's so close to five. In fact, it's exactly one less than five. So let's bump up our starting point by exactly one and start at three. Now, and I wouldn't say all of that to a student, but again, this is the kind of thinking I might wanna nudge them towards by asking just one little question at a time. And I know I'm going off into the weeds a little, but this is the kind of thinking we want to make sure students are doing. We can make them write down five minus two onto a piece of paper or blank plus two equals five. But if they aren't doing that heavy lifting of putting this reasoning behind it, they won't understand what these symbols mean. They won't be understanding the math that's going on. But really, even more to the point here, did all of that reasoning they did, did that require explicit use of subtraction to arrive at the answer of three? No. Do we want students to be able to make the connection between subtraction and addition? Yes, and they will. By practicing counting up or down, jumping in both directions, whatever makes sense to them in each scenario, by visualizing different scenarios like this, and by hearing other students thinking, they will make these connections but they don't have to be required to write a particular thing as a subtraction problem. Both subtraction and addition are completely valid additive ways of considering a scenario like this. Now, before I leave this joining example of acquiring two stickers, there is one other choice of pieces of information that we could provide. 
And that is the one where we could say, yesterday I had only three stickers and then I got some stickers and now I have five stickers. Not to get too far ahead of myself, but this is edging sort of closely into that idea of finding the difference between five and three or comparing them and finding out how far apart they are. So put a pin in that one. We'll come back to it in a slightly different format that's even a little trickier. But for now, so one person might realize right away that all we have to do is ask ourselves, what is five minus three? But another person might not be inclined to do so. They might be inclined to think about that starting point of three, then adding some number for a result of five. So three plus some number equals five. Again, both of those are perfectly legitimate ways to consider this. And even if we're that person that realized that the expression five minus three is what gives us the answer to this problem, we might actually do the calculation by starting at the three and adding up, so to speak, to get to the five. In fact, there is an entire standard in the Common Core standards for this particular thing, and I wanna read it to you. This is a first grade standard. It says, understand subtraction as an unknown addend problem. For example, subtract 10 minus eight by finding the number that makes 10 when added to eight. So that's one of those first grade standards. And incidentally, I'm going to do probably a whole series someday about grade level math standards and particularly the much maligned common core standards. But for now, suffice it to say, okay, that this idea of being able to frame a problem by using either addition or subtraction with an unknown in any position of the equation is also built into the standards and it's built in in the first grade. At that young age, we want students to be able to model an additive scenario like the ones we've been talking about with an equation with a symbol for an unknown in any position, not just by itself on the left side of an equation. This is developing algebraic reasoning and we do want it to start that early. We want students to start to articulate the thinking going on inside their heads and then we want to show them how to represent that thinking using an equation. It's so very powerful to realize that there is no rule that says you have to do a certain operation directly with the two numbers you are given in a word problem. You just have to put it together in a way that accurately fits the scenario. Also, it's not necessarily important to force every student to create every equation every time. But it is very powerful for a student to be in a classroom where they are seeing that we could model a certain scenario using five minus three equals some number, but we could also model that using three plus some number equals five. Will this be confusing for students? On the contrary, what this does is it strengthens reasoning skills in general, and in particular, it strengthens the connection between addition and subtraction. And it helps prevent what I call worksheet syndrome. So I have a whole list of things about what I call worksheet syndrome, but one of them is this trap that we can fall into. So let's say we are studying subtraction and we give students a worksheet full of word problems and maybe even this worksheet has a title on it, subtraction problems. Well, if students get the idea that this is a worksheet full of quote, subtraction problems, 
they are going to go through and be what we might call number pickers. They are just going to pick out each pair of numbers, automatically subtract the smaller number from the larger, which is also problematic. I'll come back to that later too. But in any case, all they're gonna do is look for those numbers, do an operation and be done with it without having to do any actual thinking about the scenarios and the problems. They won't even have to read the problems, honestly, if they realize that every single problem is a subtraction problem. So it's vitally important that we do mix things up. We can give them a set of worksheet problems that are in the additive reasoning family. This worksheet might include problems where some students will subtract the two numbers that are given and some will view it as a missing add-in problem. It would also include problems where the two numbers that are given do need to be added together. This way, reasoning is required. Will they get through it as quickly? Maybe not. But will they have to understand what is going on? Yes. Will they be experiencing math in a way that leads them to say, this is something for me to make sense of. It's not something where I just perform an arbitrary calculation over and over again. Yes, this is what it leads to, is that sense-making. This creates that power and freedom that we want for them as they continue on their math journey. Okay, so all of that discussion came from that first additive conception of joining, where we have a starting point and that kinetic action of joining a number to it or going the other way around, having a number we start with where some amount is removed or taken away. So let's go back to the second scenario we discussed last week. That was the one in which we have two numbers coexisting side by side, and then together we would combine them to make a total. Now this is really close to the first scenario, honestly. It's just that either contextually or in the way we think of the numbers in our head, we're not really starting at one and moving to get to the other. It's more like just maybe seeing them both there and then arranging them in various ways. So our example last week was we might have three stickers on a notebook and two stickers on a water bottle. How many stickers do we have altogether? This is what is often called a part, part, whole scenario in which two or more parts combine to make a whole. And the fact that that didn't necessarily happen in any particular order, that is what helps us to internalize the commutative property of addition. That's that hugely important understanding that it doesn't matter in which order you add, you will arrive at the same total. So A plus B is equivalent to, or has the equal value of B plus A. So when it comes to subtraction, this also leads us to the understanding that if we start with a total and take away one of the parts, then the other part is automatically what's left. So if we take away B, we are left with A. But also if we take away A, we are left with B. So let's say that I want to model the scenario I just mentioned, but the information that I'm given is that on my notebook and water bottle, I have five stickers altogether. Three of them are on my notebook. How many are on my water bottle? I could model this by saying, I have my five total stickers. I can remove three from consideration. Then what am I left with? So five minus three equals some unknown number. Or I could model this by saying, 
3 plus some unknown number, the part I'm looking for, is equal to 5. These both work together, and they work in a static sort of way, in this snapshot way where I'm visualizing that I have these two pieces and together they comprise a total. And there are all sorts of wonderful activities we can do with students where we have a fixed amount, like let's say five, and it can be actual objects or dots on a page or whatever, and you can cover up a part of them and then identify how many are left. This is building their understanding of how to decompose numbers so that they can think flexibly about numbers in different combinations, so that they know that five is four plus one, but also three plus two, and two plus three, and one plus four, and don't forget five plus zero, and zero plus five. And all of this leads directly into knowing what happens when you remove or subtract part of a group of five, how many will be left. I guess I'm going to be giving two educators a mention today because this is reminding me so much of Steve Wyborny and his free slideshows you can get online with this wonderful activity called Splat. And that is where you take an amount of dots on the screen and then you cover some of them with this splat shape and then students have to determine how many are under the splat based on how many they can still see. It's so much fun and it goes all the way from these small simple scenarios with like say five dots all the way up to larger numbers and even fractions. So I'll link him in the show notes as well. Steve Wyborny and his activity called Splat. So just one more mention of the Common Core math standards for today. It was really interesting for me to discover that nowhere in there is it required that students learn something called their subtraction facts. And I love this, the standard that is in there, and this is a second grade standard, okay? The standard is that by the end of grade two, students should know from memory the sums of all one digit numbers. So up to nine plus nine. Because here's what that tells us. If you know the sums, and you have this great wealth of experience with these part, part, whole types of activities, this idea that removing one part leaves the other part of a whole, then you've truly got subtraction down as well. Learning your addition facts and your subtraction facts aren't separate events. And a big key to that is this static conception of two parts combining to make a whole. Also, I can't resist adding, this idea that students by the end of second grade should know these sums, quote, from memory, is not the same as learning them by, quote, memorizing them. The idea, and this is built into the standards and the way they are arranged over the course of kindergarten, first grade, second grade, the idea is that the students get so much experience with numbers that these sums are internalized. Again, here's a shout out to educators like Christina Tondevold and Steve Wyborny, who provide an absolute wealth of ideas for activities, games, experiences for students to have that truly allow them to internalize these things conceptually. And students who do this move forward with so much power and freedom because they don't approach a problem by having to scan their memory for a number that is like an arbitrary factoid which when they retrieve it from their memory, it may or may not happen to be the correct number, they have no way of validating whether that number they've retrieved is the correct one. Instead, they have what we call number sense. 
an actual sense for how numbers work, what addition is, what subtraction is, what a reasonable answer for any given problem would be, and when an answer is unreasonable, it doesn't sit right with them. These are the kinds of thinkers we want to develop. These are the kinds of thinkers that even if they like forget what nine plus nine is, they can smoothly calculate it in the moment in a variety of ways because of their deeply ingrained sense of how numbers work. All right, so bringing this back to the task at hand, there is a third type of additive scenario that we encounter that we want to discuss today. The first one was that join scenario. The second one was part, part, whole. And now we have another additive scenario to consider that is pretty distinct from the two that we've talked about so far. And that is a comparison scenario. For an example that goes back to our little group of numbers that involves three, two, and five, and even our context of stickers, I might say something like this. I have five stickers and you have three stickers. How many more stickers do I have than you? How would you write an equation to model this scenario? This might sort of remind you of the one I said earlier where I started with three and then got some more and ended up with five, like how many did I get? But there is something a little trickier about this because there are simultaneously existing in this scenario, both the five stickers and the three stickers. Qualitatively speaking, just picturing that simultaneous existence of those two sets of stickers, it might incline someone, especially an early learner, to want to combine the five and the three together. And by the way, if you ever have a student do that and they answer this question as eight, consider not just saying, nope, try again. Have them state that as an answer to the question. I have eight more stickers than you do. So try that out and then see if when they say that, it sounds right in their ears. So they have that power to realize, nope, wait a minute, I have to reconsider this. But it does require a bit of a mental shift to do something other than to just add two numbers together when they are sitting there in front of you. And I suspect that the reason this mental shift is such a challenge it might be because it very much calls for a more static view of the situation and not a kinetic one. Let me explain. If you were able to conceive of this scenario by performing an operation directly using the two numbers presented to you, the five and the three, the operation you used was subtraction and you were conceiving of subtraction as difference. We have two numbers, five and three, and what we're looking for is the difference between them. So you could write five minus three equals what number? In fact, in formal terms, the result of performing the operation of subtraction is always known as a difference. But qualitatively, this sense of the difference between two numbers, it is quite distinct from the sense of subtraction as takeaway. So we're asking for those two numbers to be standing there in place. Here are five and here are three. And then we're looking to see how different are they? How much greater is one compared to the other? Even if we did decide to do this calculation by sort of taking away the three as in counting down or by starting with the three and then counting up to the five, 
The only way we can decide to do that in the first place, that this is the correct thing to do, is to have an understanding of both these amounts coexisting in the static way. And then seeing that the three is the smaller number, and then how that three matches up with the three that is part of the five, or some version of that. So our decision to do that kinetic sort of calculation, it came about because our brain was able to form that static picture in the first place to have the understanding of how these numbers, well, how they compare. This is a comparison scenario. But then let's consider some of the other ways that a person could conceive of this question. If I'm faced with looking at two sets of stickers and I'm grasping the idea that what I need to do is compare them, five stickers with three stickers, but what I'm really comfortable doing is sort of this kinetic motion, I might want to convert this into something more like the three plus some number equals five. So I might look at your three stickers and ask myself, how many more would I have to add to yours so that then we had the same number of stickers? So then the equation I'd be using is that three plus some number equals five, a missing addend equation, which is a great way to model the scenario. And this might be an easier thing for some students to do. But here's where I think it gets interesting. I don't necessarily think the reason it's easier is because addition is easier than subtraction. I suspect it's because for that student, kinetic might seem easier than static because there is also a subtraction version of this that is kinetic. So someone could look at those two sets of stickers and say, okay, the five that I have is the larger number. How many of mine would I have to take away to make it match the three? However many that is, that's the answer to the question, how much bigger is the five? So this addition where the lower number acquires more to make it match, or the takeaway subtraction where we remove from the higher number to make it match, these are what I would call the more kinetic ways of seeing this question. In order to view this more statically, we can make it so that the difference of those two stickers jumps right out at us, but the way to do that would be to line them up in some way to sort of visualize that one-to-one -one correspondence. So kind of like we did in episode one on counting, we might have my stickers laid out in a line and your stickers laid out in a line next to that. And the first three out of my five are matchy matchy with your three, but then there are these extras left over when all that matching has been done. This has echoes of something that we'll get into next week, and that pertains to negative numbers and the relationship between finding this difference, like we've just laid out the five next to the three and subtracted, and then how that might connect to adding the opposite. If you have any experience with or any memory of combining like individual positive and negative counters in order to combine or add a positive number to a negative number where these pairs of the positives and negatives sort of cancel each other out, that sort of evokes this thought process. And that's a connection that we'll make more of next week. But I don't want to leave our comparison example of additive reasoning quite yet. So today, while we're still sticking with positive numbers, I wanna take the same comparison scenario just a step further in abstraction. So let's say we want to compare five and three, but this time it's not going to be objects. It's going to be length, or what we might call in this context, height. Let's say there are two people. There's a student, probably a preschooler, who is three feet tall, 
and they have a teacher who is five feet tall. And we want to know how much taller is the teacher? Now, I'm curious to know, what do you do in your mind when you think about this? Again, the, the numbers here are pretty basic and we've been discussing them for quite a while. So maybe that answer of two feet just popped into your head as a number. But is there some sort of picture that you make in your head in comparing the heights of those two people? One of the things that makes this a little more abstract than the same problem with objects is that there are no physically discrete items that represent that difference between the two numbers. So while with the stickers, we can imagine the five stickers lined up next to the three stickers with our one-to-one -one correspondence, and we can see those two extra stickers just popping out at us as two discrete units. Whereas when we stand the five-foot-tall teacher next to the three-foot-tall student, we can see that the one is taller and the one is shorter, but there are no objects we can count to determine that question by how much is that teacher taller. And there isn't like a fill in the gap, oh, like we would put a two foot tall person on top of the three foot tall person to make a five foot tall person. This doesn't work that way, right? We have to see that space between wherever the top of the preschooler's head sort of meets the teacher's chest and then going up to the top of the teacher's head. So we might actually visualize that empty space in sort of a static way, or we might be more inclined to shift this mentally to a kinetic situation, which would be more like if we had asked, how much taller would the preschooler need to get before he is the same height as the teacher? And maybe literally imagine that motion of growth, sort of that acquiring of two more feet of growth. So that would be on the number line, like that arrow traveling from the three to the five so that the fives match, as opposed to this concept of that vertical space that exists there between the tip of the child's head and the tip of the adult's head. So all of that to say, isn't this whole idea of the difference between two numbers quite delightfully abstract? And I think the more ways we can discuss it and connections we can make, the better off we are. Connections between addition and subtraction, but also connections between kinetic and static ways of thinking, and also just connections between different types of scenarios in which we use this additive reasoning. And when faced with different types of scenarios, we want to be able to have students apply this reasoning, not just by looking for keywords in a way that the problem is phrased like sort of a trick, but we want them actually to be able to visualize each scenario and understand what's going on. And if we can give all math learners lots and lots of that sort of practice, we will all become more comfortable and powerful in knowing not only which operations we can use, but we'll be more flexible with performing the calculations and in judging whether the answers we've arrived at are reasonable. A few more things to note as we wrap up today's episode. One is a sneak preview of the content we'll get into next week in the form of a recommendation. No matter what age a student is, please consider not allowing them to assume that we can always start with the larger number and subtract the smaller number from it. And here's an example of why. There is, unfortunately, an important distinction between having $700 in your checking account and writing a check for $600 
and having $600 in your checking account and writing a check for $700. You don't have the luxury in this instance of saying, well, when we subtract, we always put the larger number on top. So allow even young students to grapple with problems like, I have three candies and I want to give away five and realize that we can write three minus five. And even though this is a physical impossibility in this candy scenario, this is the type of thing we will continue to study when we get older. The next thing is just to note that this ability to conceive of a number, say the number 99, not only as maybe a sum of 90 and nine, but also as one less than 100 or 100 minus one. This lends a much greater flexibility to our thinking about quantitative calculations. And this even extends into things like geometry or problems involving measurement in space. For an example, and I'm going to give this away in the very way I describe this in words. So imagine that all you had was a visual of this to look at. Let's say in finding the area of, say, like the top of a square table that has a circle cut out of the center of it. So picture that shape. We could try to divide up the actual physical tabletop surface into oddly shaped pieces that looked like sort of polygons with little curved lines, the sum of which would be exactly equal to the area of the tabletop, but we don't know how to calculate the area of those strange shapes. The other thing we can do is simply conceive of that area as starting with the area of the entire square and then separately calculate and then remove the area of the circle. So we'd be looking at this physical space as a difference rather than as a sum. This also reminds me of something else, and that's the method of weighing, like, say, a wiggly little puppy or a skittish cat. If the creature you're trying to weigh is not going to stand still on a scale by itself, we can still find its weight by weighing two separate things. First of all, yourself while holding the wiggly or skittish little creature in your arms. And then, number two, weighing yourself by yourself. Then you can calculate the difference between the two to find the weight of that little creature. I remember as a child, the first time I realized this, I thought I had uncovered the most brilliant thing in the world. And really, I do still think it is pretty cool. And finally, there's one more thing that subtraction makes me think of. And that's that old story of a sculptor who is asked, how do you take this block of marble and sculpt it into, oh, say, like an elephant? And their answer is, well, I start with the block of marble and simply remove everything that isn't an elephant. So there you have it. Subtraction is a beautiful concept that does not exist in isolation, but right alongside of addition in this world of additive reasoning. And next week, we'll extend our additive explorations into the realm that subtraction opens for us when we try to write a $700 check with only $600 in our account. And that is the realm of negative numbers. This third episode of the Mathematics Podcast has been brought to you by the number three, 
a number which appears in many English words as the prefix tri, and is thus the number of feet on a tripod, wheels on a tricycle, horns on a triceratops, sports in a triathlon, books in a trilogy, pieces of paper in those old school white, yellow, and pink forms in triplicate, and for a specifically math word, the number of sides in a triangle. However, as the word triangle itself so deliberately guides us to consider, this shape is to be thought of not only as a three-sided figure, but also as a three-angled figure, reminding us that in math, as in life, it is important not just to notice the lines, but also what comes in the space between them. And this episode has also been brought to you by Mathematics.com, where we envision a world with freedom and power for everyone through understanding math. That's M-A-T-H-E-M-A-T-I-X-E-D.com.